Howdy, listeners. This is Joel Tyree, just cutting in here to introduce the first of a new kind of Motormouth episode, something we're calling the foreplay tapes. Believe it or not, Tim and I shoot the shit before the structured parts of the podcast, and structured is in quotations. And sometimes those discussions are just as fun or as long as what ends up in a regular episode. So without further ado, please enjoy part one of the foreplay tapes. was kind of nice one of my classes uh we had a like a discussion thing where it was like you know because this chapter is about work-life balance and it's like take a minimum of two hours to do something that inspires you like and that can be anything it could be watch a film do this do that so i was like oh i was like well i'm gonna watch multiverse of madness because i've been wanting to watch that it like just dropped on disney plus I'm like, I'm going to watch that and have that be my thing. And, you know, which, you know, is, is, is fair. Cause it's like a Marvel movie. And like, you know, also I've been, I've been getting very, maybe a little too honest with some of my answers, especially this happened in one of my other classes too, where they talk about work, work-life balance. And it's like, how dare you? Like, right. you, you know, the, the work you're, you, you know, the work you're piling on me is specifically part of the reason I don't have a work-life balance right now. And like, so I've been kind of just like, you know, like uh, we had to read this chapter of a, bur- of a book and it was talking about like, uh, you know, burnout and stuff like that. And I was like, well, this isn't exactly, um, so it's this book called Give and Take, which is actually kind of interesting. And it talks about how some of the best people who succeed in business are givers. And then there are like takers who will kind of mm-hmm. only look out for themselves. And the takers will be successful like at first because they will just get what they can get from everybody around them. But eventually they develop a reputation and then people don't want to work with them anymore because they're they're shitty people. And it's like, oh, look, now I'm not as successful as I once was. Um, whereas with givers, they tend to be more successful. And even though they're kind of giving more of their time and kind of helping other people, it, it works out in the long run because, you know, they become the type of people that people want to work with and everything. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. And then, you know, it, it finally talked about like burnout with givers saying that like there are two types of givers, selfless, selfless givers and other-ish givers where the selfless ones will just give and give and give for whatever people need from them and with no concern for themselves. Whereas the other, the other ish, you know, they're kind of giving, but it's like, well, I got to take care of myself first, but you know, I'll still give to other people and not be a miser about my time. So I was talking about the burnout of selfless givers. And I was like, well, this isn't really relevant because it's nothing to do with givers, but I've been going through burnout for the past nine months. And blah, blah, you know, just like, you know, it's like, uh, like, I, I, I just can't like give a thoughtful response and not be honest about all that stuff, yeah. you know, and just also, I think it bothers me the fact that this chapter is also the last chapter at the end of the semester. I think that happened in my other class like this too, where it's right. like, this should be the first chapter. Like, why don't you set a precedent for like, Hey, take care of yourself going forward from day one. And these are the things to implement so that you don't burn out, not be like, Oh, I know you're, you're, you know, barely sleeping and barely finishing work, but some people might experience burnout. It's like, Oh, you fucking think like, so it's just like, so it was kind of nice to be able to be like, I'm going to watch this movie I want and, you know, be like, yeah, this will be my, my thing. You know, you said it could be a film, so I'm going to watch a film. Yeah. And and that was funny too, is I, I watched that basically at like eight o'clock this morning, like before I had gone to bed, like I stayed up all night, Krista had to leave to go bring her car. And I was like, well, I don't know what time she's getting home. So I wanted to make sure to watch it. Cause I, I heard that like, it's supposed to be like a horror movie. Uh, have you seen you've seen multiverse of men yeah 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 so it's it pretty much wasn't like no it's it's horror adjacent it has horror i mean yeah it's like i mean it's definitely i i feel like well and you know maybe this is something we could maybe this will be my topic unless we're going to do phase two or whatever but like it was it was kind of interesting like i was like i this isn't one of my favorite Marvel films like it's not like you know and it wasn't it wasn't bad but it was like it was almost like 
and, and maybe part of it had to do with that reputation of like it's a horror film and like the fact that Sam Raimi came back and it's like it's oh. not even that it was a horror film it was supposed to be multiverse of fucking madness underwhelmed was the word I had for yeah. it I, I multiverse wanted to of be mediocrity <laughs> see, see, see this is the thing Tim and like I had this conversation with Alice will hear no words against this film and I, I disagree so hard because mm-hmm. the fact that I, I felt underwhelmed by a Doctor Strange movie directed by one of my favorite horror directors, Sam Raimi, and also favorite superhero movie directors. The fact that I didn't come out of that just, like, spent of yeah. all of my juice. Like, I don't understand how I walked out of that, like, huh? Yeah. The fuck? Like, the name, the buildup. We haven't done shit with the threads from Loki or the larger universe or and they totally fucking Wanda has no character development. I felt like at the end of Loki we were going to have like a journey to the dark side, not directly flipped into dark I villain mode. I, I don't know. I, I was excuse me, sorry. I, I No, <laughs> yeah, like I mean to talk to you about that. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. And like, I mean, I mean, I guess the one thing to be fair, like, I think, you know, part of her, I mean, we didn't see her journey to the dark side, but we saw that at the end of WandaVision, like, that's the direction she was going, you know, she had the dark hold, she was like, I am gonna do whatever possible, like kind of setting that up. The one thing I noticed about this, and I, I, I feel like I only was able to like, kind of put this into words, because I had just watched um, No Way Home, and how bringing back like all of those characters from the previous Spider-Man films, like it was, it was so well crafted and so well like woven together. Whereas with this, like all of these special cameos, like it, it was very gimmicky, you know? And like, I, I yeah, never would have like, you know, and I feel like that's a thing people will just say, like, like, like with Captain America civil war, like, Oh, it was Avengers 2.5. And it was, this, it, it was like it, I mean, the story fucking worked. Like, that's, I mean, right. it was, even though it was Civil War, it was still centered around Cap and Bucky and, you know, that kind of relationship. So even though it was Civil War, it was still at the core. I could, I could, I could see, yes, this is still a Captain America movie and that, you know, was made bigger picture by bringing everyone else in, but it wasn't, it wasn't Avengers. It wasn't the Avengers fighting some big threat as a team. It was them fighting each other. Like I, I found that like perfectly reasonable. And I feel like if you're just upset about having extra characters, then like, like, sorry, but like, you know, there was plot reasons for all those characters to be there in Dr. Strange. Like I, again, for them to, to, to do the fan cast thing to make Krasinski read Richards. Yeah. And, like, it was great for two seconds, and then it was just totally undermined by, they just, they were there to be paper. And by the time, like, I'm sorry, we saw Invincible and the Boys before, I'm sorry, Scarlet Witch, PG-13 bullshit, I'm not impressed. Yeah. I'm just not, it, it, it's, this smacks of a DC-esque mm. kind of thing. Like, it was better. Like, as a Doctor Strange sequel, right? Mm -hmm. Perfectly serviceable. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. If that's the only expectation you ever went into it with, but you called it Multiverse of Madness. Give me a fucking break. This is just... it's, And it it just felt like status quo. Like, it just... It was one and done. Like, no larger implications. It just felt like neat little... And we didn't learn anything about the larger universe. And I don't know how, if not that film, what what are you waiting for? Is Taika supposed to do that? Is that his job with Thor? Like, Oh, yeah, maybe. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, even that doesn't seem to have many, like, multiverse implications. You know, I'm, I'm assuming it's the same Jane Foster from that same world who becomes Thor, not like some alternate Jane from another, you know, universe or whatever. But like, we don't know. We don't even have a teaser. We like, and that's an, another one of the the eye rolliest fucking post credits. Just like, like I love Bruce Campbell, but that was like a waste of my. Like it just it felt like Sam Raimi was like, 
this is your old dad's superhero movie. <laughs> yeah, like uh, that that was one of the biggest things I thought of was like and, and this was actually looking back I kind of had this complaint with the original Spider-Man movies was they had a very old timey kind of feel like, you know, like when you're watching the Batman cartoon or like even Gotham, it's like, what fucking era is this? Because like, right. These are old. The cars are, it's like, is this the fucking fifties? Like watching Spider-Man felt like it was like the seventies or eighties, even though it was like early two thousands. And that was kind of like what, like one of the things that, you know, I was like, is it because like they're trying to like mature him a little bit? So they're appealing to people who, were kids in that era or whatever, you know, or like that era of the comics, right? Like just yeah, something, yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, definitely, that was one of the my favorite things about the Andrew Garfield ones was that they made him like a very kid modern. of this yep. time, yeah. like you know, like he was a nerd the way kids are nerds in that time, like not the the way they kind of made Peter, where it was like, oh yeah, this is paying tribute to the nineteen sixties when right. he, you know. Um, you know, or yeah, or like another example would be like Superman Returns, you know, how like that was trying to fit into the the yeah. 70s era Superman movies and it just feel it felt like very disjunct and out of time and everything. Um, and I feel like he brought that back to this where it just felt like, yeah, like like you said, this is your dad's horror Marvel movie where it was like, yeah, it's like it wasn't like, I feel like we've had so many of these like young, fresh, really talented up and comers or, you know, not necessarily people who are like, who are super young. Like, I feel like, cause like, you know, James Gunn and Taika Waititi, like they, I feel like they're, you know, they've been around the block. They've done stuff that I'm not familiar with, but they've had credits in the past that have gained them the notoriety to be able to do this. But it's like, yeah, like with, with, and, and I feel like in a lot of ways, Sam Raimi did work on that first Spider-Man because he was in that boat. But to now have him come back and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do another Marvel film. But I feel like he didn't do it acknowledging that Marvel had progressed 20 years from the first film he did. Yeah, he the did whole... it as if it was still the early 2000s, you know? And like, and, and there was part of me, like, when, when Steven steps off the balcony and does that stupid flourish thing to, like, I thought that was off. cool. I mean, that looked really cool, you in, know? in a minute, like, I liked it a little bit, but it, what it screamed to me was, like, Raimi is doing what he would have done back in 2003. This, like, oh, it's right. the same thing. That whole, like, just stepping off the balcony, just kind of surprise thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, it was like Aladdin, you know, when he has the, when the carpet. Oh yeah. And he pops up. He's like, what, what? what? <laughs> yeah. Like, so it just had, it was like, I don't know, like superhero movie of bygone era in a certain sense. Like, look, yeah. the thing was not soulless. I enjoyed it. Once I got at I didn't enjoy it until I was thinking about it as just a sequel. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. it, I'll go see this again. I won't put the, sh- the the pressure on it that I did going in and it'll be perfectly fine. It is not devoid of soul like Morbius was. <laughs> you haven't seen that. I do not recommend it, but suffice it to say, <laughs> Morbius was all of those things, but the worst of right. the worst of them. Like first draft, like throwaway tropes from 2006. Like, yeah. and they kept it like that's, and that movie was in the can for a long time. So that that's, there's a difference between yeah. Raimi doing anything and whatever that was like, so yeah. like it, within a context, but it, again, not my favorite. And it's crazy that like something with Raimi and the whole of the multiverse right. was really kind of meh. There's cool visuals, but like what what was the the implications? What happened? Who cares? Like yeah. it, it was almost like, and this is where this is I think that what I can forgive them most about was like it almost seemed like they're like, yeah, we want to do a movie like about the multiverse. But it's like almost like with Titanic, we can't just do a movie about the multiverse. We have to center it around someone like, oh, let's center it around America and make the film be about her. And I feel like they were trying to write a story that was centered around a central character and her her up and coming role in the Marvel Universe. But that, you know, but then if that's the case, don't call it Multiverse of Madness. 
you know. Also, don't like, give her a show. Like, is it what? What's the show for? If also, we got no details about her at all. Like, it wasn't centered around. Like, yeah, yeah. I yes, agreement. It was funny too, even with like with the music, you know, I was like, I was, and one of the things I'm going to mention when I do my little, I have to do a three to five minute video for my class, like describing how I was inspired, blah, blah, blah. But like, like part of what I'm going to say is that like, I was excited at the premise of like Raimi and Elfman coming together again. Cause I don't know that they've worked together since Spider-Man two, where, mm-hmm. where like Elfman left like on like not good terms. And I actually, my, my, orchestration teacher was telling me the stories that apparently and he's like and i i don't feel like i'm talking out of turn because danny elfman himself has said this in interviews so it's not like him talking behind the scenes but apparently like the scene i think with with doc ock when he first gets the arms like well i think it's i think the scene they're talking about is like when he's in the hospital after like the arms like murder everybody and he's kind of like no i'm a monster like the music they play i think sam raimi tempted it with uh music from hellraiser and he wanted Danny Elfman, of course, to get as close to that as possible. And did, like Danny Elfman was doing constant rewrites, like, how about this? How about this? No, it's not close enough. It's not close enough. And he's like, I was getting to the point where it was getting close. Like the next step would have had to be plagiarism, you know, because I couldn't get any closer without just copying the the, the thing, you know? Oh, wow. um, so I think he just said like, that's it. Just use, you know, use the temp then, like pay to get the rights. So then apparently... I don't know if he left the project altogether at that point or if everything else had been done. And that was the last thing that had to be done. But then I guess Raimi hired a few other composers to be like, Oh, can you do this instead? And they, apparently he either, he even hired Chris Young, who was the composer of Hellraiser and said like, Hey, I tempt this with your own music. I want another version of this for, you know, you know, which hopefully you can do because it's your music. And even he couldn't get close enough. And I think like, apparently he just ended up, purchasing the rights to hellraiser to just use the clip oh, from hellraiser and, and then for spider-man 3 he ended up working with christopher young so oh, i don't know if it was just that at least in that process like well danny elfman's out now and hey you know and i don't know if part of it was because he wanted to go with a darker more horror angle or something like that so that's part of why danny elfman only did the first two and then christopher young did the third one so that was kind of interesting to know that kind of backstory, but then to be like, oh man, they're back together on this project. But like, I, I just, I, I feel very underwhelmed by the music. Like the music didn't sound like a superhero music, nor did it sound like horror music. So it was just and, very kind of like, what, what is this even? <laughs> and even like, I love the idea of the music note fight. Yeah. But, like and but that the music was I don't I couldn't tell you what it sounded like. Like shouldn't that be like the most triumphant interesting memorable thing in the score? I don't I, Yeah. Well, I think part of it too is like at least like I forget what what it was that like when strange the, the you know the good strange was sending stuff but then like yeah, when the, when the bad strange does it, it was like Toccata and Fugue by Bach. So it's like, okay, you're going to use source music, which again, like, was that Raimi again being like, I want something to sound like this? And Elfman being like, we're not doing this again. Just fucking use the fucking temp. You know, like, if you want Toccata and Fugue, just use Toccata and Fugue. Like, I'm not going to try to copy that, you know? Um, but yeah, like, and, and and I don't know if it's just like, I mean, part of what I wonder too is like, is it just because like, you know, I, I feel like, you know, early on, Danny Elfman was like one of the guys, you know, it was like, you know, back in the day, it was like either John Williams or Danny Elfman. And I was team Elfman, you know, and then like, you know, Hans Zimmer entered that ring and they became kind of like the Holy Trinity of like the most famous modern day film composers, you know? And then I feel like as I've been moving in and actually digging into not just gravitating towards the scores of the names that I know, but like, well, what are the films that I've loved the music in? And that's where I've kind of really gravitated towards Alan Silvestri and, and uh, Michael Giacchino. And like, and it's like, cause uh, Michael Giacchino did the score to the first um, uh, Dr. Strange. Oh, okay, gotcha. It was, it was great. And he did all three Spider-Man films. You gotcha. know, he, so it was just like, Oh, okay. Like this is the new, and so I don't know how much of it is just like now that's informing, like this is the new sound, you know, and, and between that and again, Alan Silvestri doing, I think he did, uh, I think he did one of the, yeah, he did the first Captain America and then someone else did the next two Captain Americas, but then, and Silvestri did the first Avengers. And I think Danny Elfman did the second Avengers, but then Silvestri came back for the two, um, like, uh, 
the the last two yeah and infinity stuff and yeah. endgame so it's like i feel like though those two composers have sort of shaped in my mind okay this is the sound of the marvel universe or at least as as far as the the films that i gravitate towards most and the ones that are my favorites you know and you know there have been other composers in there but i feel like a lot of theirs are the scores we've kind of like forgotten about you know and uh and also i think it's really cool that like you know they they went the Alan Silvestri route for, okay, you're going to be the defining sound of our Avengers, you know, epic, which, you know, to pick someone who, you know, who has been that much of a, um, you know, somehow not a household name. Like, yeah, like I wasn't even aware until I started really digging into, you know, like, I mean, a few, two, three years ago, if you asked me like, you know, oh, who scored, you know, uh, back to the future. I don't know that I would have known that, that it was him, you know, and it wasn't until I started digging that it's like, Oh man, this guy's scored so many of my favorite films, like throughout my life, like, you know, which, you know, again, star Wars and Indiana Jones. Sure. Like, you know, John Williams gets to own those, but like, well, I mean, I was going to bring up, like, I wanted to have the rogue one versus Obi-Wan score conversation Mm. in, in, in the same, because I'm not, I haven't watched the, the finale yet, but I'm caught, oh, nearly caught up. But oh, is that out? On, the finale's out now? Oh, shit. The finale's out. Okay. Um, I haven't seen that yet, but I saw I saw everything before that, yeah. Same here. So Ken- Kenobi's score is incredible. It, it's so good. Like, it's so close. And it's it's the thing about Rogue One was that score felt like it was half an orchestra. Hmm. Like, it, it felt empty flats not in like a timbre sense but in a, like there wasn't enough people in the room and it just the, the themes felt just like like a, a balloon beat the air being let out of a trumpet line that kind of stuff like it just didn't have the, the balls or the sustained i don't know something about this one is just and the way he's playing with near themes and approaching Darth Vader's final theme and those, like, and how he's integrating also how they're shooting Anakin with the helmet from the different mm-hmm. angles and, like, evoking the concept art because of the length of, of, like, they're kind of getting a distortion moving. I don't know. There's yeah. some really cool stuff that they're doing. I just think, like, other than John Williams in the Star Wars, I mean, uh, the Boba Fett and, uh, uh, Mandalorian themes are excellent. Those those soundtracks are great scores. Well, those are also I feel like far enough removed from right. or yeah. epic that it's like sure they can have their own thing, and that I mean I I agree with a lot of what you're saying, and that's part of why like I thought the way it, you know if I was in charge, <laughs> what I would have done is I would have had John Williams score Rogue One, and have Jacino score the sequel trilogy. Because, like, this is a next generation of Star Wars. Like, Rogue One happens in between the two original, the two trilogies that John Williams scored. So I think it would, and it's, and again, it's like, it's, it's a prequel, you know, or like a mid, I don't know what you would, you know, prelude to that. So it's like, it, it, I feel like it should have had a much closer vibe to uh, A New Hope. So it seemed like stupid to get another composer to do that. Like, it seems more so that it was like, well, this is, you know, it's a Star Wars story. So we don't, we don't need, you know, we're not going to pay John Williams to do it, but then also like, Oh, but we have to have John Williams do this, this next generation. Like I, I think it, it would have been much more, you know, smooth and, and, you know, lack of a better term appropriate, you know, if yeah, John Williams did rogue one and Oh, here's this nice lead in. And there's this nice, um, you know, continuity in the music going from, you know, 3.9 into four, you know, and then, okay, 30 years have gone by and we see these old characters that we know, but it's mostly new people doing a bunch of new shit, you know, like, like that's what should have been like a new composer, you know? Dude, I just realized that every trilogy or every Star Wars thing that ever comes out, I'm going to have this kind of minutia and analysis discussion of what they could have done better for the rest of my life. I just had that realization and it, it's very comforting to me <laughs> to know <laughs> that they're going to be fucking it up just slightly <laughs> or very badly <laughs> for eternity. <laughs> well, you know, thing, it, like, I feel like 
with the reason why they were like, okay, we need to do Disney Plus shows and we need to like cool it on movies was they started to inflate the brand and it felt like they were skimping on things. With the Star Wars stories, everything, something was a little bit off and all of it. Like the idea that like the score wasn't quite there, at least I thought that, that it felt like as much as I liked Rogue One, the score was like, ah, it's just, it's close, but it's not, it doesn't feel like it's there. Yeah. And then with uh, Solo, which I enjoyed, but it, it just, it was reshot and shot again. And just like, they just ran out of gas because they, they threw it out so far. And it, it's interesting that they, they got two creators with Favreau and Filoni and they say, sit in a room and you have as many seasons with as many characters as you want, throw it together. And like, it, I don't know, like it, just the, the, the philosophy and the strategy for getting at it has been, and this is, I guess that's the thing, the kind of the thread, the needle back to Kenobi is like Kenobi seems like the first one of that, that mode to, to be um, coming from the, the, the shows and being as, close to and also like actually close to and stone the tile jesus style and tone (laughs) stone tile style tone i I fucked (laughs) both of those up so deliberately i took my time and messed those up (laughs) jesus christ they were real things so i was like okay we're you're redoing your bathroom okay got it It seems like they had to go really far away to kind of boil Star Wars down to its essence and learn about it and then come back to make it kind of connect to the bigger, like the original trilogy. Because they nailed the tone. Like, I, I seriously, I, it's so, I don't know, they, they, they seem to have figured it out and it took putting Filoni and Favreau in a room together. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes that's part of it is like, I think, and this is one of the things that I'm really really happy with about, you know, the kind of the current state of like Hollywood, the entertainment, whatever, is that I think like people, I don't know if it's the people in general or the people that are interested or the people who they're making this stuff for are smarter, you know? And, and I think they're also like, they're not willing to put up with, Oh, just crank out a fucking sequel. They don't care. They'll see right. this and make a ton of money. Like that's not good enough anymore. Like I feel like that was, you know, in the 80s when you made action films and it's like, oh, it's just a bunch of shit blowing up. A bunch of dudes are going to go see this cuz it's a bunch of shit blowing up and a guy shooting guns and punching people in the face. Like who who the fuck cares what the story is? Let's just put it out there. It'll make a bunch of money. And now like, I love that that's not good enough. I, and that's one of the things I I know that uh, there's been a lot of discussion about like, you know, the fans and like, oh, I want this. I'm disappointed because of this. But the, the the small part of that that I do like is that like if you want the fans' money, like you do have to listen to them to some degree. And I feel like at the core of that, like like I'm not saying I agree with every individual who you know. Well, I you know I've watched some movies, so I could make a better movie than you. But that you you can't just like pump out shit anymore and be like this is a sequel to a successful film, no matter what, it's going to make us a ton of money. Like I feel like there is you know, there, there, there does have to be like effort put into it to like make a good film and to have a good script. And, and I feel like every now and then, yeah, there is a misstep, but I feel like people will hear about it, you know? And and that's, that's one of the, that's the reason why I wish people wouldn't be so picky because I don't want it to turn into a like boy who cried wolf kind of thing where, Mm -hmm. you know, you put out a film that's like nearly flawless and everyone tears it apart because they're just a fanboy. And again, it wasn't, the movie that they saw in their head, regardless of whether or not the movie was actually put together well and had a good script and had the time and care taken to make it as good as it could possibly be. Cause then when, you know, if there are films that come out that are garbage and the same people are complaining, no one's going to listen. So it's like, choose your battles. But, but yes, like if someone puts out a piece of crap, like let them know, like, like, 
you didn't do your due diligence here. Like you didn't make a good film and we're not, like I said, we're not, we're not eighties people who will go see any garbage that has explosions in it. Like we want quality. We want stories. Like we're into comic book movies because we read comic books as kids and comic books have been progressively having better and better stories to them. And that's, you know, it's not just seeing people in colorful tights that we want. We want those stories. We want, you know, the, like the degree to which those characters get fleshed out throughout, you know, the years in those comics, like that's what we want to see in film. Like, we're not just looking for, you know, eye candy, you know, I mean, eye candy is nice, but it's got to be on top of like a solid foundation. And see, I think, I feel like the, 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 like the critical mass or like the lowest common denominator, because right. That's what, that's what the studios want. We want everybody's money. And we, we will appeal to the lowest of that to get, the most amount of money, right? Like that's that. So that's changing with the access to information. We've also seen like the audiences now have seen more movies than any others in history. And have seen like, we are now at the point where really experimental film is canon taught literature in what inspires and and informs the next waves of stuff too. So I think that, and I mean, with the the opening up and, and, trying to get better penetration to markets because the markets have become more niche. So they're having to appeal and pander to more, like it, it's good for the system and it's taken so long to get it to this point where it's, it's actually studios are looking to, okay, how do we get this demographic? How do we, how do we, it, that's the thing. They're doing the same thing they've always done, but they're doing it more sensitively now is the thing <laughs> they yeah. want the money. How do we pander this off? They've always talked about what do we do to go after that market? What kind of thing do we have to put together? And again, those audiences have gotten less and less satisfied with schlock. It has to be good. It has to be authentic. It has to represent and be made by the people that it's it's trying to appeal to. So the the it's slowly, slowly turning to that side where it's it's like the the consumer is more informed and also not content to just eat whatever's on you know like we now have and the other thing is like the dumb stuff the big shiny stupid stuff like we now have it in youtube form so i don't have to watch the big schlocky movie i can watch the big explosion for three minutes and go to the next thing you know too so like the i'm thinking like where lowbrow has gone is the more accessible media, which is the thing you can hold in your hand, YouTube, those things, TikTok, those contents. So it, it's it's interesting because that will that goes through the, the the evolution, right? It goes, it's really schlocky and awful, and then it starts to get something, and then they try to monetize it and fuck it up, you know. Like, so it'll be interesting to see because I was just thinking about like big dumb 80s movies that appeal is still out there, but it's, it's less, it's, it's background noise. It's, it's, it's boring. It's less, but like the idea of something more aligned with that is just like YouTube content. I would think. Yeah. It's some, I, I don't know. It's an interesting. Well, and I mean, that's the thing. It's not like that when we're watching a Marvel film, it's like this better not have action and explosions. Like you can right. still have action and explosions to appeal yeah. to those people. Just as long as you're having a story running underneath it, you know, like that was, that that first became clear to me like with the transformers movies like i was a huge fan of transformers as a kid and like i remember going to see that and just being like what the fuck is this about like <laughs> like like you know like it looked cool as shit but i was just like this is you know and i i and i i feel like we've we've you know i've, I've said this before and maybe i'm completely off about this but i don't i don't like to be a hater i don't consider myself a hater like everything that comes out i don't try to find what is wrong with it like for me to really be like what the fuck this is garbage like it has to like slap me in the face with it it has to be like and and it has to do it constantly like it has to be like this wasn't like a misstep like right like, you remember we're, we're this from two seconds it. ago <laughs> yeah like and, and I, just, I, I just yeah i was so confused like how hard is it to and i remember people being like you know, oh, but yeah, like they're not going to care about, you know, if it's, you know, they're putting all this money into the special effects and if it's going to sell tickets, they don't care. And I feel like this was where I kind of had that realization that it's just like, but if you're putting millions or whatever into special effects, like how much, how much more do you have to pay a screenwriter to just write a good script? 
like like rather than being like oh my 16 year old nephew wrote the script and then we dumped millions of dollars into the special effects like hey i mean i don't know what screenwriters get paid but if you're already dumping that much into the special effects like it's going to be a drop in the bucket to hire a decent screenwriter you know? see and that's like i on one of the pod, i think it's Nazi donna podcast they actually had tim minchin on i don't know if you know he's like a yeah, uh, a, yeah. so played he's his crazy superstar yes and, and did the uh, matilda run on uh, uh the west end oh nice that would be like so yeah um so he was talking about like the, there is a metric in the same in the style of the fight club metric where it's like how much it costs to do a recall right where we can spend x amount and it doesn't matter what the quality of it is this sequel will get will get enough money to justify the investment and we don't have to we can take the first script, we can make no edits, we can get this base level of actors, and sometimes they do that and still. So it, it, it's crazy that, like, the, the, the lack of passion that, because <laughs> that's the thing, like, when you can have a bot write, right? right. It's going to hit all these moments. But I, I, it took me, a, and the other thing is, like, when you're a kid, like, when I saw Transformers, it blew my fucking brain open. <laughs> like, it was just the spectacle of it. Oh, yeah. I, like, big, dumb, yeah. shiny stuff. And it was Shia LaBeouf, which I came up with him through Nickelodeon. So, like, it was just, like, it was a good synergy of stuff for me to be interested. And it took me a long time to get, cause, and that's the thing. Like, I didn't enjoy Turn Off the Dark or whatever the fuck it was called. Dark Tower or Dark of the Moon or whatever. Dark of the Moon, yeah. Just I was like stupid Spider-Man? titles. I was like, Spider-Man musical? What? <laughs> but like, they got Leonard Nimoy in that one, which I was like, okay, I'll go. And then they had the Dino Dinobots, which they messed up. But they was just like, they can't. They had enough visually interesting. But like, when you have a 45-minute CGI mess of vi- like violence that it's it's nothing it's just nothing is actually taking place it's just pixels like it, it's exhausting and who is that for i i watched this there's a like a french canadian video store that has a youtube channel that they have like indie directors and people come in and like look at this huge video store and they'll talk about films and stuff and michael bay came <laughs> and that man is everything you think he's gonna be <laughs> There's no glad I'm not wrong. <laughs> You're not it's not a it's he's the most broy director and like I don't want to bury the man, but like there's no reason for him to to there is inexcusable stuff he puts in his movies. There's no reason for it. He goes out of his way to be but like he didn't have a very big vocabulary mm-hmm. and he did a lot of like anecdote like I he just it was very much like that kind of guy like very much like all surface no no depth no passion underneath like a commercial guy like i i I don't know he's like he's a cliche like i feel like if he was part of gen z he would be a youtube or like an instagram influencer you know like like oh i'm good i I got all this flashy stuff like i have no actual substance to myself but i can kind of capture an audience with knowing what visuals will appeal to people and get a huge following for that reason alone you know like i feel i feel like he's like a kardashian you know yeah i i mean like i i I like the rock i i like i like bad boys too i like i'll watch the stuff i like darm again give me some fucking don't want to miss a thing looking at fucking bruce willis on the asteroid that's gonna be blown up that is all of my brain (laughs) my favorite thing about that whole film is that bruce willis makes ben affleck cry (laughs) (laughs) that was also like and i mean like bruce's illness all that acknowledgement of that i don't know how early it started but like back when bruce used to care about a role (laughs) he was like actually committed to being this man very much like himself (laughs) yeah well you know and and i think that's part of it too is like and and maybe maybe this happens to a lot of people where it's like you know and i not that they're the first ones to do this but i always refer to it in this way because this was the first example of this that really hit me personally you know like going the way of pearl jam and i know i've I've used that phrase before where it's like (laughs) we did a couple things that were really successful 
because we did a, a, a really amazing job at what we were doing, and now people love us. So let's do whatever the fuck we want, even if it's garbage, you know? <laughs> and, and not to say that every song Pearl Jam wrote after um, Versus was bad, but it was like, I mean, like 10 in Versus, like top to bottom, like fucking gold, you know? And then Vitology is like, what the fuck is this? Like there are maybe two tracks on it that are, you know, like that I would listen to, you know? And I think part of why burned, I spent money on that. I physically bought that CD. It's not just like, you know, nowadays where you can listen to stuff on YouTube. I feel like now I'm less angry about people putting out shitty music. It's like, well, okay, I'll just never listen to that again. But when I had <laughs> bought those first two albums and like, I can't wait for their new fucking album. I'm going to spend money on that and then be like, what the fuck is this? What the fuck did I spend $20 on? You know, I spent $20 on two songs and a bunch of fucking, let's make it look like a vinyl record, blah, blah, blah. Like, how about you put more of this effort into writing good songs, you know? And, and I feel like, I mean, same thing even happened to George Lucas to a degree, you know, like that was, (laughs) and and, and not to a degree. Yeah. And and that's (laughs) the thing is not to just like jump back and, and, you know, let's trash the the prequels now, but, and, and not to say that they're completely horrible, like, as I've seen them, I've definitely grown to kind of appreciate their place. And also, I have my own headcanon that I've created that explains a lot of the stuff. I don't know if I've told you this before, but like, I am now, from, from now on, I'm going under the assumption that Anakin used the Force without realizing it to manipulate Padme to fall in love with him. And that's why she turned from this powerful senator-ass woman into... Oh, like he was like a dark side leech on her soul. Yeah, like he was basically like, he was just so focused on being in love with her that he actually manipulated her feelings and and turned her from a person into just someone who like, you know, loved him and he wanted, yeah, and was just barefoot and pregnant the whole time, you know, like, you know, and and that's the thing is like, like, it wasn't, it wasn't so much the, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot, but I mean, I feel like, especially, you know, trying to become more woke, like who that character became, like, I feel like, yeah, more feminists should be a, a specifically angry about how he wrote Padme going throughout the trilogy. Like she, you yeah. know, she becomes like a, a non-person, you know, she, she, she ceases to exist as her own person and only exists to be Anakin's wife and baby mama. And, and that's my way of explaining that is that like, Anakin did that to her without realizing it. Like, you know, if he's supposed to be so powerful, like, you know, without even realizing he was manipulating her emotions in that way. And the way, you know, the way she, it, it kind of just flips a switch. Oh, I truly and deeply love you. You know, it's like, other than just like bad dialogue, it's like, well, if, if she's kind of being puppeted by him without him realizing it, then maybe that explains away some of the terrible dialogue and the, the way she kind of makes this 180 you know, and like, oh yeah, like, you know, I know you told me you just slaughtered a whole tribe of people, but oh, Annie, you know, like, you know, like there, yeah. there's so many things about her that's just like, no, this isn't, you know. That's another like thing, Filoni, I mean, Filoni's been pasting over the mistakes of Lucas's, because mm-hmm. he, that man loves Lucas's work so much. Like, I, but like, in even in Clone Wars, which is post their romance, like that helps her character because she's more, she's active. She is the right. senator. She is written as before, but it doesn't like from the jump. I, I, from from the absolute start of the prequels, completely the wrong. Why would you do it that way? I don't. You had all. You had every option available to you, and you chose to make Anakin that young. Right. And to meet her, why did he have to meet her at that point? Why is she in the first film? Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Why? Too. Why? What What does that add other than giving you an excuse to have the, the hair and the, the design of the, the royal palace? Like, I, I understand from that. But, like, again, it's like toyetic first, right? When you're looking at sets and costumes and a look of a character instead of Okay, what's the story? I mean, anybody who's yeah. read the Star Wars, the, the first draft of New Hope is is you can't. It's unreadable. It's it like George needed somebody to say no. That doesn't make any sense. And also to look back at what that's the thing. He he's constantly in his own canon with the special editions and everything. Yeah. So like the fact that he he. I met your when I met your father, he was already a great pilot. Okay, why 
why can't you make that true? It was, it's already there. You're not, why are you making it harder for these things to work together than just using that as a fence post? Even yourself, his own work could have been the fence post to keep him in. Like, it it just, it it baffles me that, that that was the focus. I just... Anakin that young makes no sense. Obviously, you're trying to appeal to children. But he's Darth Vader. It hurts my brain, Tim. It's hurt my brain the whole time. Well, and and here's an easy fix, too. I feel like we have seen senators much younger than Padme is in episode one. Like, make her his his same age. She She could have still been a senator, but just like six years old or whatever, as opposed to like... You know. Or a princess, yeah. right? Just do it up from that age. Like, they, they, I don't know, like, on visits, they, like, grew up and hung out together and had this, like, baseline. And then, okay, he goes away and experiences some shit. Maybe the Clone Wars gives him some some demons, some darkness, and twists his view of what should be the way in the Like, there's no... It's arbitrary. That's the other thing. His arc, his turn is so arbitrary. It's it's because of his own. It, 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 there's no arc. It's not informed by anything. It's just yeah. this kid is this is the cursed baby that has to turn into Darth Vader. So right. let's do it in the clunkiest way. Instead of making it about okay, this is someone who grew up and kind of had this special relationship with somebody he should like as a Padawan. If you were going to do the celibate priest thing, which why did you do that? Also, like. It, it just, if you're gonna build those constraints, just just make it accessible. Like, I don't know if the man's, like, meant, met a real human being in 50 years. That's also a thing. Maybe he has no... Yeah, that's... I mean, yeah, he, like... Like the like the uh, um, um, Arrested Development meme where it's like, oh, how much can this cost? What ten dollars? Or it was just say, how much can a banana cost? Ten dollars? Right. You know, I feel like you know, like rich people just lose touch with reality. Right. Like when you don't have to deal with the things normal people have to deal with on a day to day basis, and like yeah, like not ever having to think about money in that sense, you know, like or right. the, the way your survival depends on money, not how much money will this film make. Like yeah, like it changes you as a person at your core, and you you lose touch with reality that the rest of us are living in. Yeah, and I, I think yeah, like that, I think that's that that yeah, that could be just a big part of it. Is like he went from being a regular ass struggling filmmaker to like oh the skywalker ranch you know it's like okay of course like like and he's been do you have a ranch do i have a ranch no you know none of us have ranches that we own that we do this shit on you know it's like you know it took me till i was in my fucking 40s to have an office an apartment with a second bedroom so i could have an office so no i don't have a ranch i don't know what your life is like you know and you don't know what my life is like anymore so it's like yeah of course you're not going to know how normal people speak and progress through life and everything so yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I feel like we've always blamed him for, you know, kind of meddling with things, but maybe that's at the core of it is that he's at, at his core. He's not the same person he was when he made the original Star Wars. The other thing is like, I, I watched the documentaries and man, like it, it's exhausting. He had to care about it. So that's the other thing. Like I, I understand like you have to, he didn't ask for the, for the, the, the following, but he, you have to feel responsible for it because you built it. So if you're going to make it again, you're like, well, okay, I have to put, that's the thing. I think the prequels were also attempt, like, can I do this again? Can I push the boundaries of filmmaking again? Dude, if he had done them silent, the balls. Right. Like, wouldn't that have been the greatest? And that's the thing. Like, on the one thing, how many, is that the thing? He's, like, fighting for all these little things because he couldn't get the big one or something. I don't I don't know. Like, it, it just, it's just fascinating that's that's one of the things i've learned too is that like yeah i think i don't know if part of it's like you know because it's his baby it's like i have to do everything but i've definitely as i've gotten older i've kind of you know seen the uh the merit to you know and maybe it's just like as i've learned more about tv and stuff like that especially the shows i like where it's like oh you have a showrunner but the showrunner doesn't write every fucking word of every script you know like here's the arc i'm gonna trust you to hit these beats along the way and fill in the gaps, but you have to get from here to here. Now you, you're the writing that you have to get from here to here, you know, like, 
like, I feel like that's how so much successful TV works. And so, you know, and, and, you know, like, again, like with Marvel, like having Kevin Feige being like, okay, like I, you know, I'm, I, I, I say what goes and what doesn't go for the whole thing, but like different people are doing different chunks kind of in their own way, but they're still serving that, that main arc. And I feel like if he had done something like that, you know, like, Hey, I need to get from here to here. What, what's a good, I'm thinking about talking about trade routes and taxes and someone else could be like, no, I have an idea of how we can get from here to here. Let's do this. Oh yeah. That's way more interesting. Let's do that. And that way the, the, you know, the beats of the story are satisfied and it brings us from there to there, but like by making him solely responsible for every word from there to there is just kind of like, yeah, like stick, stick to what, you know, you know, I feel like, yes, the, the big picture of the story, the mythology of it, the symbolism, the metaphor, like, like, yes, you can still make sure all of that is there, but like to to think you need to control every every movement of every character. Like I'm yeah, I remember hearing about that where where he would like edit digital stuff where like two people would be in a scene and it's like, oh, I don't like that he sat down before this person. I want them to sit down at the same time. So he would kind of split the screen and edit it so that they both sat down at the same even though that's not the way it happened in the performance. And it's just like, why? Like, why do you have to tinker with that so much? Like, like trust the other people to kind of do their jobs and whatever else, you know? And um but, yeah, yeah, I mean like, we have gotten spoiled afterwards because we got we got Peter Jackson who fucking went away and sequestered himself for five years or whatever it was to do those three films in a row. And I mean, even his, his follow-up diminished in quality, like it's more CG, but like that guy did the thing. He was down in the muck and every show, like he had second unit, but he gives all the credit in the world to it. Circus, like everybody was there. But like the, the, the version of that, I mean, he's on locations too. And that's the thing. Like he, I don't know if that's like in response to, I mean, George was constantly self-editing when he did the special editions. Like he was constantly going back to that instead of doing anything else too. So it's yeah. like, and that's the thing, like my heart breaks for him because it's exhausting. Like, and I don't know that there was a model to follow either. Right. Like they didn't have like unprecedented in, in yeah. terms of like when a new Godzilla movie comes out now, I mean, in the early days, it would have been like, Oh, can this measure up to the enormity of the first one? But like after a certain critical mass point, you're just like, Oh, that it could be whatever, but that's yeah. not three storylines tying the lineage of these characters. We only have three films of, you know, like it, it. Yeah. And also the thing, I don't know that the original trilogy flows all that well, movie to movie, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. kind of a motley crew. I, I, I think Empire is just great, an atmospheric, experimental, really great arc. In the but like it, it it's kind of weird. Like the balance between the three films is not. It doesn't feel like it was all shot with the same ideas, you know. Like, and that's what we're clamoring for now is a unified vision to go through this story, so that at least it feels planned, right? Like that, that's, and maybe like, and that's the thing that that's what George wanted for the first trilogy. He tried in the second and then they failed to do in the sequel trilogy because they, they had JJ slated to do all three. He's like, I ain't fucking doing that again. And I wouldn't either like exhausting. Like he, he, he saw that like, that's a huge task. And then, then it started, the studio was very involved in like, okay, this director's fallen through, this director's fallen, like, they, that that organism treated it differently too and interacted with it differently. Like, because George was like, I just have enough money to do this movie. And right. we've got what we've got, we've got to get it fucking done in this time because there's no, like, it, it, it wasn't the, okay, we've got the sequel trilogies follow-up planned five years in advance who do we got to write it and these haven't even come out yet you know like the way the studio influences change and that's the thing like george had complete control of the prequels he had little fights like i mean not little but like that big fight i can't you can't do it in black and white you can't do it silent so like I feel like everything else though he really he had all the money 
because everybody invested. They got the toys and everything lined up. Like, I almost wonder if you know they if they should have done the sequel trilogy, where instead of having J.J. Abrams be the director, if he should have had more of like a showrunner role. Yeah. Where it's like your job is to make sure seven, eight, and nine are unified. We're not going to make you like direct every second of this thing. We're gonna we're gonna make sure that as we go from one to the other, it's under one umbrella. Even if we have to change directors in the middle, you know, um, or or screenwriters or whatever, you know. And I I also feel like you know, and maybe this is part of it, part of why with the first trilogy, you know, I feel like even though. I, I doubt he had all three scripts written before he started shooting episode four, but like it lived in his head. Like I can, yeah. like I, I've been there. Like I have, I, you know, we've talked, I have stories, the epic stories in multiple parts living in my head. So if, if I had to sit down and do one thing, like all the rest, the ghosts of, you know, past and present are floating there, like reminding me, informing how I do that one piece of it. So and I feel like going into seven, eight, and nine, like, I don't know how much of a plan they had beyond seven, you know, like, I, and, you know, as we've said, I think that's one of the biggest things. And, and, you know, and to be fair, like, you know, some people, you know, like eight better, some people like nine better, some people don't like, but, but I feel like even, even I will admit, like the three are very disjunct. Like, I think the biggest problem is not this one in particular is better than this one. Like, sure, people have their opinions about that, but I, I don't think anybody can argue that the three are disjunct. You know, the three are three different animals instead of one one continuous story that has different vibes because it's different time frames. There's different, you know, like seven, eight, and nine, or I mean, four, five, six are like that. They have slightly different right. vibes. But like That's again, like, even even if we have one that we like most, it's not that we would prefer that over three good ones. You know, like, I I hate that it is in the state that it is. It could have, again, all the time in the world, all the money, all the creativity, they could have gotten anybody to write those three films. They could have reanimated Willie Shakespeare to fucking do those films. <laughs> just that amount of stupid money. And they fumbled. I don't know how they fumbled it, Tim. Like, this is how many generations of kids have been growing up, shut up and take my money, Star Wars stuff. Right. They're out there. Like, just make, like, I, yeah. all and, of you know, the potential. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, like, as we've been kind of talking about the flaws of 1, 2, and 3, again, even though they have different vibes, like, 1, 2, and 3 are a singular arc. They are. You know, like, like, again, like, they're very different from each other because, I mean, partially because the time in between is so vast, but, like, they're they are part of the same trilogy four five and six are part of the same trilogy like seven eight and nine is not a trilogy you know yeah. and like i think that's the single biggest problem of the whole thing is that they didn't plan ahead they didn't treat it as a trilogy and and, and i think i've said this before too where it's like you know like the idea of it's not that i dislike ryan johnson like if they had given him a standalone film or you know i think at one point i don't know if they're still doing this they were going to give him his own trilogy great like i would rather have him do his own trilogy or even have had him do seven eight and nine as long as it was the same person you know mm -hmm. like it's not just that i have such a hard on for jj that it has to be him or no one i just want it to be the same person you know yeah so like I the more I think about like all of the, the things that he did to just dog shit Force Awakens, I'm like, is that at JJ or is that at the studio? Is he giving the middle finger to Disney like, fuck you for putting somebody in this position and not like, I, I don't know. Like, in because I imagine in that role, they need you at a certain point, time-wise, they need you more than you need them. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'm doing this. <laughs> Fuck you. This is just like, how sucky. It, it, it is interesting. Like, I, I feel like I've just learned more about, you know, the way, the way things work and the way things in some cases have to work. And it's like, you know, like, I feel like a lot of what, what the argument will boil down to is like, it's all about making money. And it's like, sure, I get that it's a business, but like, and, and I think this is what comes back to my earlier comment about like, I'm glad that the standard is getting higher 
that like, yes, I understand that you're making films to make money, but I'm, I, I'm, what I'm happy about is that there has to be more of an acknowledgement that you can't make shit if you want to make money, right. you know? And, and I feel like the, the line is more direct, right? The feedback yeah. is getting in front of the people that make the stuff quicker yeah. than ever before. And we're more articulate and more <laughs> insistent now than we, cause it's, it's, it's not just, the one person who writes the movie reviews in the one column at that paper, it's everybody who saw it. <laughs> yeah. Can jump on here and say, this is dog shit. I can't believe they're doing it again. So like, I think they finally have the apparatus for, Oh, we can take all this better than Nelton Nielsen da- data and make decisions about it. Having said all of the, the, that about multiverse of madness, there, there were, there were some elements of it that I really did like, like I, uh, you know, and kind of, I feel like what they were, what they were trying to do and, and how they were trying to do it. And it just seemed like, I don't know if they're being like cautious about things or, you know, like, first of all, I'm glad it was like just over two hours as opposed to like two and a half hours, which I feel like yes. that's become the norm. So I feel like the fact that it was on the shorter side, <laughs> shorter side is like, okay, you acknowledge that there isn't a lot here and you're not trying to balloon it out too much. Be like, well, right. we've set a precedent that Marvel movies are now two and a half hours. We got to do that. So like, that was, you know, something I was happy with. And I did, I did geek out as much as this was again, a gimmicky part of this when fucking professor X rolls up and they play the theme yeah. from the nineties X-Men, like, I was like, oh, the old school yeah like from too. like so yeah this is the the 90s professor x not like you know so like that was really the and I, yeah i wonder like what uh, and it made me wonder like what are the what are, what did they have to go through to get the rights to that like does does disney own that too and that's why they like you know it was there like did they you know say like okay danny elfman like you have to orchestrate this with all your other stuff like it was just that was the thing that was kind of like you know built the most excitement like i knew all those people were going to be in it also here's one of the things too and i will admit this is probably more my own fault my own expectations but because they showed this in the previews and i'd be willing to bet this was what their intention was talking multiverse of madness sam raimi slash horror we have a reanimated stephen strange we have this this dark ass face scarlet witch I thought we were going to get Marvel zombies. Yeah, I thought there was going to be. I mean, they they evoked it, right? Exactly. They have the dead, but it, it was just Which, like again, the idea was, and I don't know if this was because of the release schedule getting fucked up with COVID or what the deal was, but my impression was this was going to be a follow up to the What If series, where all of those threads were going right. to come together. We were going to see that big fucking tentacle monster. And some resolution or something to legitimize that as this other storytelling element. So I thought we were going to, and they they did it, but like the barest amount, like not even, and that's the thing. Like, I hope that's not the continuity because those guys all just got nerfed by Scarlet Witch doing nothing. And it, it was another thing where it was like, okay, why the fuck is Black Bolt from the TV show no one watched in this? Like I was expecting some some other Iron Man, right? You know, like it didn't have to be Tom Cruise's Superior Iron Man or whatever. Like, but it, it, something. I just I, it was again the underwhelmingness of it all. Just seriously, the guy I've been wanting to see in Reed Richards' flight suit was wearing it with the beard, and he yeah. looked fucking great. And I just had like. That was all it was, and then we moved, and he died. Yeah, like it just—it was like Marvel. Didn't you learn anything from Batman versus Superman? If you don't give us a chance to care about these characters, we won't care when they die. Right, and that's the thing. Like it wasn't even those versions from the What If. Right, like they didn't either legitimize that storytelling because that was the other thing. I thought we were going to get much more of Dark uh, Strange. I thought that was going to be the whole conflict. The fact that they made it Wanda, why? They're trying to get Wanda to villain status. They just put her away. What can she do now? I also, I mean, you know, this is another thing, you know, and maybe uh, again, 
is it my fault because I set expectations or is it their fault because they made me think this is what was the deal when they show the part of him going through all the multiverses and his, his head becomes all cube like, yeah. like, I think that was a reference to like in, when they did the whole um, house of M you know, I think there's a like there was a cover either before or after that where like Hawkeye has his face because I think at one point like he dies but she brings him back. I forget exactly now how it works, but like you know having Wanda being this villain who can like alter reality at will and having that that sort of cube you know treatment like I'm like oh I thought they were going to lean much more heavier into the um, House of M stuff. You know, and then and then they didn't. It's like, okay, is that my fault for thinking that's what's going to happen, or did you make me think that was going to happen by choosing images, you know, directly from that? It's in the name is the thing. Before we saw one stock photo, one grainy backstage leaked photo, they called the thing multiverse event. So for them to have no larger implications, to not use it as a bridge for the Fantastic Four. Or for the mutants. And that's the thing. You had Scarlet Witch as the villain and didn't do any House of M shit. No more mutants. More mutants. Mutants at all. Something. Yeah. It's a waste. It's all there. Like, Yeah. You've already got the M alliteration. (laughs) What are are you, what are you waiting for? Are you going to do that? Because like, we're finally getting Scarlet Witch into the height of her powers and could do interesting villain stuff with her. But you burned her in this first fucking... And, like, she's on a raft, right? Is that where she is now? I can't remember what... I thought she was in, like, the Wondergore Mountain and just collapsed the whole thing on top of herself. Okay, so she's, like, gone, like... She's dead, I guess. Right. So, are we going to bring her... Like, is somebody going to go and get her and recruit her as part of a larger thing? Because that's, again, not serving her character, like... How are they going to pull one of the multiverse versions of her in so we can still have a version that has the kids and that's how the kids come into it? Because I I really liked her character development in WandaVision. I really liked that show. I liked that journey. And I wanted to see more of where her compromising more. Mm -hmm. I didn't want it to be like a switch. I wanted, okay, I tried to do this. Where are the boundaries? Am I going to be cool? Like, she went full Vader, where it's like at one moment you're still kind of a good guy, the next minute, oh, I'm just going to murder all these children. It's like, wait, wait what? <laughs> Another thing I'm loving about Kenobi is that Chelsea keeps saying how extra Vader is. Everything. He lights the fucking firewalk and fucking pulls him down. Oh, I need to make that meme. It's going to be Dwight. On the ground <laughs> towards Michael, It'll yeah. be, give me the job. <laughs> give me the job. And then when when the shuttle takes off, and he pulls it down mm-hmm. and rips it apart, and the other one and, goes like. And the second just, shuttle comes, he's like, "Ah, oh, that's too far." <laughs> <laughs> also, Obi Wan is stopped by like a gate where he can just pop over it. <laughs> like, <laughs> do we need to go through this checkpoint? Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do some fortune. These are not the droids. <laughs> <laughs>